In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Buckhead is staying put, but what happens next is the big question. We'll be back next year if things haven't changed, changed a lot. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein, one of the insiders here at the AJC. Buckhead's breakaway is on hold, but it's a tenuous piece. Today, I'm joined by AJC senior reporter Tamar Hallerman and City Hall reporter J.D. Capilouto to look at what has derailed the movement and where Buckhead goes from here. A reminder, if you're listening to the show for the first time on AJC.com, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. JD, Tamar, it has been quite the busy week. Uh, this was a sudden end to something we've all been writing about for months. The final blow to Buckhead came just a few days ago. Speaker of the House, David Ralston. It takes two chambers to pass a bill. They said it was very clear. Um, and uh, I respect their decision. The problem of how we got here is not solved, uh, that being the crime problem. And uh, I'm going to be watching to see what uh, action is taken by the leadership here in the city of Atlanta. I'm hopeful that Mayor Dickens recognizes the importance of the problem, and I'm uh, inclined to believe that he does. But, uh, you know, we'll be back next year if things haven't changed a lot. So I'm looking for some forceful, vigorous action on the part of the city to tackle that problem. So is that a way of saying give Atlanta Mayor Dickens a chance to implement his policies this year? Well, I think he now has the chance under the Senate's action, and I hope he takes advantage of that opportunity. Tomorrow, you've covered a lot of federal and state politics. You've covered plenty of legislative negotiations. Um, this was Speaker Ralston's very polite, but very uh, succinct way of saying this legislation is dead in 2022. You know, if I would have had to put a bet into how this was going to go, you know, I was kind of assuming this would come down to the wire, even after crossover day, even if it wouldn't have made it through one of the chambers of the legislature before then, we were on high alert to make sure it, you know, did it get stuck onto some other bill that was moving really quickly? You know, could it end up on government, Governor Kemp? desk. And so it was interesting to see um, how out front, uh, especially Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan was the day before in shutting this down and how quickly Speaker Ralston uh, kind of backed him up on that. Yeah, JD, um, Tamar is exactly right. My, my hunch was it was not going to pass. I didn't think it was going to pass, but my hunch was it would have been one of those pieces of legislation that were left on the cutting room floor after Sine die on day 40, that we would have written a story about what didn't make it and that story would probably have led with Buckhead cityhood, and it wouldn't have been because of any 
you know, decision, no one would have taken responsibility for it. It would have just been, oh, we had so many other things, so many other priorities. This one didn't just didn't make it across the finish line. But instead, we're not even at the halfway point, and we had in rapid succession the two most powerful legislative leaders under the Gold Dome, Jeff Duncan on last Thursday and House Speaker Ralston on Friday, both say this isn't happening this year. And, and, and with Lieutenant Governor Duncan really elaborating on why he felt like there wasn't enough policy behind this. He didn't, have, he didn't see the planning for how they would combat crime, um, how they would deal with school financing and parks and bonds and all these other issues that, that you guys have been writing about it for so long. Yeah, there there were so many unanswered questions with with this proposal. Uh, you know, f- yeah, from the bonds, from the schools, we were waiting for a separate bill to be dropped uh, that would specifically talk about the schools and and how that would work with APS and kind of getting into that whole debate. And I'll even say we had you know several stories in the pipeline go, delving into some of these issues a little bit more. So yeah, it was definitely a surprise for it to come out that fast. And I'm sure we'll get more into the weeds of kind of how that all unfolded. Um, but yeah, it's certainly something that, uh, you know, we'd been watching closely, but but didn't didn't expect it quite to play out that way. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the stories in the pipeline, because let, let's give our listeners a peek behind the curtains at the AJC, because you and Tamar, JD and Tamar, have been working for so weeks. Look, I'll, I'll put it this way. It looked like you, sent, you spent months on it, because it was such a good story. But weeks on a profile of Bill White, the face of the Buckhead Cityhood movement. The story runs digitally on Friday, in print on Sunday. And I don't know, maybe two hours after the story, a couple hours after the story runs is when Speaker Ralston uh, kind of hammers the nail in the coffin for for Buckhead City Movement this year. But I mean, uh, Tamar, you first. Tell us about what you learned. What was the most fascinating thing you learned from reporting on this profile of Bill White? I mean, so many things. This is one of the most colorful people I have ever profiled or written about, maybe outside of Donald Trump. Um, you know, not only has he been this really flashy, in-your-face leader of the Buckhead Cityhood movement, but he also has a really fascinating backstory from all of his decades living in New York City. He grew up in Long Island. His family, they were restaurateurs. He became known as a major fundraiser for veterans' causes and then, in turn, a massive political donor, ma- mainly for Democrats up in New York. Um, he and his husband very famously shifted from Hillary Clinton to Donald Trump on election night in 20. 20- 2016. But we knew all of that kind of going in when we went to go interview Mr. White. But it was also interesting to just see up close and personal the the very magnetic personality that he has, um, you know, that that charm that he has in the room. But also there was certainly an abrasiveness that that also came through. He was very upset at some of the the reporting that we did ahead of time when we had reached out to other people in his life um, who might be able to speak about him. And it was interesting to see all of those qualities up close and personal. You know, JD has been covering this issue for a year. I have come to it only recently. So for both of us to kind of go into to that interview um, and to just get a closer picture of him, he spent nearly two hours talking to us. And not only that, but just the security that was in the room, you know, he had a um, colleague of his who works for a nonprofit that that helps mentor high risk uh, youths uh, who kind of was there and piped in about about Bill's records on race and how he didn't think Bill was a racist. It certainly was one of the more colorful interviews I've ever done in my career. Yeah, J.D., I mean, you've covered this for more than a year. You've gotten to know Bill White over that time frame. So you knew some of this, but 
you know, a two hour interview that as, as Tamar mentioned was at times a little bit rocky, probably. Right. Um, what, what was it like reporting the story? And, and I'd like to hear your, um, your, maybe your most surprising takeaway from your coverage. Yeah, it was, it was a really interesting story uh, to report. I don't normally write a lot of profiles. I normally stick to, you know, the, the straight city hall news, you know, you know, day to day developments of different things. So it was a really interesting to, to be able to write in that style and kind of delve into it. It was definitely the longest story I've ever written for the AJC. So that was kind of a, a lesson in itself. But About 35,000 so words. <laughs> give or take. <laughs> um, but yeah, there were you know, a lot of a lot of fun details that we kind of tried to, to cram in there. Um, but yeah, something that, that has you know really struck me about Bill, especially since we were doing this story, was kind of that that duality of you know you see him on social media and he's incredibly brash and abrasive, if not sometimes offensive. But then you talk to people who know him either from his time in New York or his time in Atlanta and say that he's the nicest, most charismatic guy they've ever met. Even people I interviewed in his neighborhood, it was it was almost like polar opposites. It's like either he was, you know, made people uncomfortable that he was serving in the neighborhood association president role at the same time as the Buckhead City committee role. And and they kind of didn't like how he did business or he was, as, as one person told me, the best president they've ever had in their neighborhood association. So there was really, you know, that that black or white that you got when, when dealing with him that we tried to get in the story and, and to kind of profile kind of who he is. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been covering politics almost full time for, for 10 plus years. And the closest parallel that I have is truly Donald Trump. Hmm. Um, and I got the opportunity to, to interview him a few years ago. I believe it was 2017, 2018. And that duality that JD was talking about was so reminiscent of Trump to me. And not only just in the way that Bill talks, you know, everything is the greatest thing ever or the worst thing ever. Um, but also with Trump, you know, something that really struck me when I was in the Oval Office with him was there there was this charm that he had. You could see that that kind of businessman kind of come out, how he even made some jokes and was kind of poking fun at, at things and, and kind of he's so good at making people feel at ease. But also there's that nasty side that can come out too when he's really fired up about something. And with Bill, there was such an obvious parallel there for me. Um, the other thing that really stuck out was just the defiance that he had. You know, we were asking him, what does he think that he's become you know, even though he didn't start the Buckhead Cityhood movement, even though he wasn't there when years ago this has been this started bubbling up, he has become pretty much the sole kind of front man of this group and opponents have really fixated on him. And we asked him what he thought of that. And he said he doesn't care. It fires him up. Um, it doesn't upset him. He says it's kind of what fuels him to do things more. And I think we've got that audio. I love it. Wow. No, it just gets me up in the morning. I've been out in the sun too long. My skin is very leathery. And, you know, I'm a carpetbagger. I'm a grifter. I'm a financial schemer. I'm making millions here, right? I'm getting nothing. I'm a volunteer. I don't get paid anything. Zip. Okay. And <clears throat> I have had a death threat. I've been called everything in the book. But, hey, I know that this thing is the right thing to do. And I know what we're doing in our plan and laying this out with an amazing group of people which represent the most diverse community in Atlanta. And to our listeners, we added out a little bit of coarse language in that clip. But JD, you heard uh, Bill White go through 
a lot of the attacks that we've seen his, his most prominent critics uh, raise that he's a New York mm-hmm. transplant who doesn't really isn't really part of the community that he's making money off this mm-hmm. that he's in this for his own self interests. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, as you heard from that clip, he is well aware of all those attacks and sort of ready to embrace them and kind of counter them. Yeah, that was something uh, that that I had kind of gotten a sense of talking to him last year. Um, he, you know, was really not not too afraid of talking about some of the things that, that people would say about him even back then um, when it when it wasn't as, you know, explosive of an issue. But when it came to the settlement agreement that he did in, in New York, he, he knew that that could come up. And part of that is, you know, because he's no stranger to the press and to, uh, you know, being being written about. And so he understands kind of how that process works, which is another thing that made him a very interesting profile subject but a lot of of what we've been talking about about his kind of like charisma that he has really helped uh talking to people who knew him in new york really helped put that into context um because up there obviously there's you know there's been scrutiny of his finances in new york in terms of uh obviously the, the settlement as well as um you know some of the money that he raised for nonprofits versus how much he was paid we can we can get into that if we want but one thing that did strike me is kind of Regardless of that, he did have a reputation of being a very gifted fundraiser and would throw these big banquets for the Intrepid Museum that really helped raise their profile. And he was really good at kind of building these big moments around causes that he cared about a lot. And one thing that struck me is is how they talked about how bipartisan he was. Um, he could build friends so easily on both sides of the aisle and everyone respected him. And one thing, um, you know, that goes into that is because he was doing veterans fundraising, which is, you know, a pretty, pretty bipartisan issue. Um, but it also was interesting to me just to see how it contrasts with what we're seeing now with the Buckhead cityhood issue becoming such a partisan issue where, you know, far right Republicans are the ones really embracing it and Democrats not touching it at all. There's, there's seen that divide there and he's gone after predominantly Democrats in his time in Atlanta. So that was an interesting thing for me, but it also kind of helped put into context, like why he has that that charm that he can also put on. When we get back to, from break, we will delve more into how this thing fell off the rails and what is next for Buckhead cityhood advocates. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Podcasts like these are only available because of your readership. So we thank you, our listeners, our readers, our viewers, for subscribing to the AJC. And if you're not already a subscriber, please go to subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcast to get unlimited digital access for just 99 cents for your first months. That's subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcast to know what's really going on and to press on. We'll mention that slogan as well. 
we talk, well, let's now talk about how this thing went off the rails. Because if there was a year to pass Buckhead cityhood in the Georgia legislature, this was it. Think about the dynamics. You had an unpopular outgoing mayor in Keisha Lance Bottoms who had really strained ties with, with state lawmakers. You had an untested mayor in Andre Dickens who many of the powerful power brokers in the Capitol hadn't even had hardly known uh, before he ended up in a runoff against Felicia Moore last year. You have an election year and all the pressures that come with it. Um, you have former Senator David Perdue coming right out the gate the day after he announced his his gubernatorial campaign and endorsing Buckhead Cityhood. And you have lawmakers from outside of Atlanta, Republican conservatives, who have no problem in interfering with local matters. Uh, we're seeing that every single day at the Capitol right now with rewrites of, with redrawings of local district maps. So all those kind of factors played into why this could have actually happened. I know we were kind of skeptical about it at the top of the show, but there was a pathway for this to happen. And to me, at least, Bill White was his own worst enemy in this case. And, and let me kind of set up this clip. Not long before Jeff Duncan, a few days before Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan came out in opposition to Buckhead Cityhood, Bill White promoted a vile conspiracy theory surrounding the death of MARTA's chief executive, Jeffrey Parker. And this was a this was a transportation official, the head of the transit agency, who was beloved under the Gold Dome, who lawmakers from both parties held in very, very high esteem. And, you know, Bill White had made a lot of blunders and, and statements on social media that had really alienated lawmakers from both parties. But this was the one that seemed to to kind of break the camel's back. Let's hear what Lieutenant Governor Duncan had to say about it. Certainly anybody who would take uh, a, a message in that direction to speak against somebody uh, who's uh, passed away and his family is grieving um, is just disgusting in my opinion. Um, and uh, I think we're going to continue to watch people gravitate away from people like him and, uh, and gravitate towards solutions. And I hope that's why we... I think that's one of the reasons why we have such great support for bipartisan mm -hmm. support for less crime in uh, other areas of opportunity to make a difference. Tamar, the, those are uh, no idle words from Lieutenant Governor Duncan. He meant them to resonate when he called Bill White's comments disgusting. As you guys wrote about in your profile, Bill White can, can be his own worst enemy. He can inflict damage on his own cause. Yeah, he has been known to, to tweet a lot of incendiary things, to go after anybody he perceives as an opponent, you know, the especially state legislators from Buckhead, uh, Democrats who are opposed to this effort, he really would go after them. And really anyone, even kind of more anonymous kind of Twitter users, uh, you know, he would go after them. But but there were kind of two big moments that really stick out to me as when he lost a lot of allies. Of course, the, the Jeffrey Parker tweet that came a couple days ago that really alienated even his biggest allies under the Gold Dome, but also a couple weeks ago when he retweeted an account um, associated with white supremacists. Um, and anti-Semitism that talked about, and JD, maybe you remember the exact words around this, but it talked about violence in majority black cities and kind of, you know, he was kind of just adding a, you know, and Buckhead too. But a lot of people really took that as as him supporting white supremacists. Yeah, he had kind of long followed and kind of been in circles of, of far-right extremist accounts on Twitter that people have, have found. Um, a, a lot of that came from the 2020 election. He supported you know, efforts to overturn that election. And, you know, there are some d deleted tweets that people talked about 
from January 6th last year that he that he posted um, and, you know, later kind of clarified that he didn't support what happened there. But um, that's been stuff that people have seized on. But, yeah, it never really, you know, turned the, the power brokers off until, yeah, that V-Dare tweet and then and then the Jeffrey Parker Instagram post, which he has since deleted um, but has not addressed or apologized for. You know, Tamar, you made this comparison a few times, so I will too. But walking around the Capitol, even today, um, I heard a lot of lamentations about Bill White that we heard about Trump. We had Republican lawmakers say, if only he could have stayed off social media. You know, we could have still backed this. If only he had just kept his trap shut and, and not got on Twitter. And we heard a lot of the same lawmakers, the same sentiment from, from conservatives in Georgia over, over the former president. And there, you know, some funny moments uh, in the interview JD and I had with Bill. You know, Bill's husband Brian Yor sat in uh, during that interview as well. And there, there were kind of moments of little marital kind of not even disagreements, but you could see there were moments where Brian would step in to try and defend Bill, or Bill even mentioned, you know, my husband really wants me to lay off a lot of the critic, you know, Twitter criticism. He tells me not to be as active and not to take it as personally, but he kind of suggested, you know, sometimes it was hard for him to not go after some of his critics. Um, And Greg, this is something, you know, going back to this Donald Trump idea, this is something we've covered a lot over the years in the context of sort of copycat political candidates in in Republican circles who have tried to run as little mini Donald Trumps on the congressional level, even in the statehouse level. It's really hard for people to replicate that kind of magic formula that Donald Trump has. He, He truly is this Teflon man and things don't stick to him. And he has made it work, but it really is not a formula that others have really been able to replicate. And I think Bill is an example of that. You no, know, you're, ex- you're exactly right. And, and that actually came up you know, today at the Capitol where, where one of the Republican lawmakers said, I would love to have been like Trump too, but I, can't, I cannot pull it off. And there might only be one person who could pull it off the way that Donald Trump does. Well, let's talk about what's next because, J.D., you guys also asked Bill and his husband, Brian, what happens if this thing goes down this year? And here's what they said. If it isn't on the ballot this year, it's going to be on the ballot next year. You, it's definitely going to be on the ballot. So if it's this year, next year, always be coming up. Regardless, this is what one of our lobbyists said. Regardless, if there's a Bill White, this will always be on the forefront of the conversation in Buckhead until the people vote. Yep. And then, just but, like Eagles Landing, once the people vote and it dies, it's dead. It cannot come back. But if it's not voted on. It's going to keep coming back yeah, and coming no, back. It's not just Bill White. It's the 72% of Buckhead. That yeah, and by the way, we're not going anywhere. So <clears throat> there are moments where you uh, are, get excited and uh, jump up and down. There are moments that you realize you have to w- wait and be patient. And we have many bills, not one. As Ed Lindsay said at the farm the other night, he's a guy who knows how the sausage is made. Well, J.D., one major point here, which is – if a Democratic governor, if Stacey Abrams wins the election in November, there's no chance they will happen at least those four years. Because uh, I mentioned earlier how former Senator Purdue came out the gates endorsing this idea if he wins election. Well, Stacey Abrams, in one of her first interviews after she announced her candidacy, made it very clear to me that she will never support Buckhead City Hood. Yeah, absolutely. Things could look very, very different next year. The political climate in Atlanta could look very different depending on what Mayor Dickens does. He obviously has, 
you know, put crime at the forefront of what he wants to do uh, and, and tackle this first year. And so we could also come back to next year's legislative session and crime just isn't as much of a concern anymore. And you mentioned earlier, Greg, the political pressure that Kemp would be facing this year if faced with a Buckhead City bill he had to sign. That goes away next year. Or if he wins again, he wouldn't be in an election year or Stacey Abrams as governor. So there's a lot, a lot that could change. I know a lot of Buckhead City opponents were just really hoping to get through this year and then kind of they could breathe a sigh of relief. But but like they said, it's going to continue to be at least brought up, um, at least through this year um, before we know kind of what the future holds I think a lot political scene next year. Sorry, go ahead, Tamar. Sorry, JD. Um, You know, I think a lot will depend on crime rates and perceived rates of crime in a place like Buckhead. If people Mm -hmm. think that the situation is getting worse, um, that could drive action. And Speaker Ralston left left the door open to returning to the issue in 2023. I could also see a scenario where, let's say, Stacey Abrams does win the gubernatorial, uh, uh, you know, becomes governor in 2023, then it becomes really easy to paint her as the villain in all of this. So if there's any uptick in violent crime there, it becomes very easy if you're a Buckhead Cityhood plan then to kind of bring up this issue once again and frame it based on, you know, democratic failures. And, and you know, Stacey Abrams has made this so much worse and, you know, we're going to step in and save it. So I think fear is such a motivating factor politically. And so that could, you know, depending on who's in office, it could become very easy to bring this up again. Yeah, th- that's a great point. And something that we need to be mindful of as you know, since the Buckhead City Committee says it plans to continue and, and push for this, is that they're they're going to try and find, you know, statistics to show, you know, that that crime is getting worse. So you've seen that from Bill, at least already kind of pointing out stats since Andre Dickens has taken office to kind of prove that that crime is getting worse. So I think we, we might see kind of all sides on this try and seize on crime numbers to kind of show what they need to show. And we'll need to be careful uh, of kind of wading through and, and finding the nuances and the truth in terms of, of what the numbers show as well as how people actually feel, because there's going to be a, a lot of chatter continuing on both sides. And for Mayor Dickens, he has some hard fought breathing room. This would have dominated his first year in office. And of course, if it had passed, it would have dominated his first term in office is dealing with the de-annexation, the divorce of Atlanta and the fallout that that would bring. So he has some breathing room. But as we heard from Speaker Ralston, lawmakers are very closely watching. And if there is a Republican governor next year, um, I will not be shocked to see this come up. It might not have the momentum it had this year, or the, at least the sense of momentum it had this year before the wheels came off. But uh, I, I agree. It, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. It might be one of those perennial issues we see at the Capitol, just like another city-related issue, the, the airport takeover bill, giving the state more oversight over Atlanta's Crown Jewel, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport. That has been an issue for more than decades, really, under the Gold Dome, and it still hasn't gone away. So Buckhead could join those ranks. That's all the time we have for the show today. Please rate, review, follow, share, and subscribe. Thank you, JD. Thank you, Tamar Hallerman. Of course, to our producer, Jay Black, and all of our listeners. See you on Friday. We're signing off of Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. 
It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.